are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Isaacah, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have come far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly and with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour and they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of works in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Five little words, one world of pain. How did we get here? A question, an aching, an angst, the unexpected hurt of unexpected hurt. How did we get here? It's the question of a once successful company whose stocks and shares have suddenly taken a plummet deep into the black. How did we get here? It's the question of the once settled couple whose lives have grown distant and whose love has grown cold. How did we get here? It's the question of the once safe child whose addictions has not just ripped their lives apart but their family's hearts too. How did we get here? Maybe that's a very real question for you about a place or a project or a person that you love. Or maybe this is your question. How did I get here? It's the question of a once free people, once prosperous and peaceful, now living as slaves in a strange and a foreign land. How did we get here? Quite how did it come to this? As we launch out on Unchained, this journey together towards greater freedom through the book of Exodus, uh, chapter one really takes a moment to briefly recount how they got there, recount the story so far. How a dreamer called Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons, has risen from being a wrongly imprisoned slave in Egypt to becoming the prime minister of this global superpower. Through the murkiness of this story, his integrity shines through and he rises above the lies and the rumours and the accusations. See, Pharaoh's having trouble with dreams. Big deal back in the day. These nightmares that nobody can explain. Nobody except this imprisoned slave called Joseph. Joseph unravels the mystery and prophesies that in seven years' time, uh, a global famine will sweep right across the world uh, and that they've got seven years to plan, to prepare and to save. 
They do. And while other nations suffer, uh, Egypt doesn't just survive, she positively thrives, all thanks to Joseph's brilliant strategy, his prophecy. And so Israel too suffers in this famine, Jacob and the rest of his family back in Israel. And so Joseph, now Prime Minister in Egypt, moves the whole family down. Uh, all the 11 other brothers and their families, it's quite a tribe. There's about 70 of them uh, at this point in history. Uh, and so they come to live in Egypt, a strange chain of events really. But time, as it tends to do, starts to pass. The weeks become months, the months become seasons, the seasons become years, and the years become decades. Uh, and the story of how God had saved Egypt through Joseph, it, it fades with each telling. And the history becomes legend, the legend becomes myth, and the myth gets forgotten. By the time Joseph and that generation of his brothers had all died, the whole reason they were there, the whole reason Egypt was saved, gets forgotten uh, and eventually too even kings and rulers fade away with the passage of time so by the time we're in exodus chapter one there's a new pharaoh on egypt's throne and he doesn't know or care why the israelites were there he just knows that by now there are so many of them he doesn't take the time to understand their story the whole story he doesn't want to understand and you always come to fear what you don't understand. With one word from Pharaoh, the next generation of Israelites find themselves suddenly now living as slaves, hard labourers, minions really, for Egypt's building projects, which were, make no mistake about it, quite prolific. Over time, it gets worse and worse, until eventually it becomes okay to treat the Israelites quite savagely. Life is not good for the Israelites living in Egypt. How did we get here? A strange event of chains. Who do you think it has become okay to treat differently in our world today? How do we allow this to happen in our hearts? How do you think God feels about this? said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwife answered the Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. 
Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must go into the Nile, but let every girl live. But this king is not done yet, not by a long way, and the worst is yet to come. The potent mixture of his lust for power and his suspicion of outsiders has turned his heart cold and his actions cruel. He orders the mass genocide of every male child born to the Israelites. He sends the instruction to the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, the Israelite midwives. If a baby is born a boy, they are to kill it instantly right there at the delivery stool. Unimaginable, unthinkable, unbearable. How did we get here? It must have been a question that, that buzzed around and around in the Israelites' minds. It must have been a question that consumed their conversation and their prayer life. God, how did we get here? God, how did you allow this to happen? God, where are you? in all of this. Your brilliant plan to save Egypt and therefore the sons of Jacob, Israel, along with it, it has now led to this. Well, what's your plan now? You saved Egypt from famine, but will you save your people from extinction? Have you ever been in a situation where you just couldn't see where on earth God's plan was or where it was going, where no matter how desperately or how eagerly you searched, you just couldn't see where God was in any of this? The, the question that we face as we uh, read the first chapter of this amazing story is what do you do when God's plan seems to have failed or stalled or just seems so far away? Well, here's what they do, the Hebrew midwives. Uh, they simply disobey. A direct order from the king is replied to with a flat no. Now, when it comes to the battle of what their work demands versus what their faith requires, Pharaoh didn't stand a chance. An act of civil disobedience, perhaps the first ever recorded one actually in history. And their courage, their faith towers over this story because without it, without them, there would be no Moses. There would be no freedom fighter. There would be no freedom story for us to read. They were the spiritual grandmothers of those who in the New Testament would stand up to the powers that, that were in their day and that stood up in a, in a court of law and said, listen, you decide for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey you rather than God. But as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Like them, even when they couldn't see God's way out, they still chose to live God's way. And that choice leaves the door open for God's plan, uh, his better way to come through. A strange event of chains. During the Second World War and the years leading up to it, it became okay to treat the Jews savagely once more. Uh, genocide was ordered once again against the nation of Israel. And after the war, in one of the concentration camps, right down in the cellar, these words were found written into the wall of a concentration camp. I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. 
I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God even when he is silent. I believe through any trial there is always a way. It seems that even when reasons to hold on to faith might be low, faithfulness is always an option. Because each of us face our own trials, don't we? Our own challenges. Times when what our work and our life demand of us and what our, our faith requires uh, are pulling us in, in opposite directions. Times when each of us have to decide, will I choose now in this situation to follow Jesus or will I simply follow the crowd? Some of you might remember an, an old hymn called, Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Uh, and one of the verses says this, Oh, let me feel thee near me. The world is ever near. I see the sights that dazzle, the tempting sounds I hear. My foes are ever near me, around me and within. But Jesus, draw thou nearer and shield my soul from sin. There are times, aren't there, when as the light of God's plan fails to inspire, fails to dawn on us, we're tempted to follow those other lights or, uh, as that hymn said, the sights that dazzle, the solutions that seem convenient, the, the way that seems easy. But just like the Hebrew midwives, what if our simple and consistent obedience to God's ways might just leave the door open for a way that is better? for a plan that we might not be able to see yet, but that is bigger than us, for a path that leads to true freedom, a life that is unchained. This is sadly not the last time when a dictator will use their position and their power and their authority against the young, the innocent and the defenceless. The start of Jesus's story, the, the story of our chainbreaker, mirrors the start of this one. We've just celebrated Christmas together, haven't we? And what happens next? Well, King Herod, furious at the disobedience of the Magi, orders that all the babies under two years old, boy, male babies in Bethlehem, should be killed, should be slaughtered to prevent the King of the Jews from threatening his throne. But, God had another plan, another dream whispered to another Joseph, a path out of Bethlehem that led, interestingly enough, into Egypt for a while. Jesus enters into that place of deep hurts, of tough questions, of long waiting. He himself understands that place. He himself knows it. And he himself has come to be the answer. Years later, songs would be written as Israel looked back over this whole chapter, this whole story, this freedom journey. Uh, and these songs would be written, freedom songs. Uh, one of them, Psalm 136, has a line that repeats after every other line through it. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. You know, the one constant thing throughout this whole story and the one constant thing in the whole universe, the one core of our reality, his love endures forever. 
it endures throughout all things. And kings and rulers come and go, and huge empires will rise and fall, and threats and challenges will always come against the people of God. But there is a love that remains, ever faithful, ever flowing, never failing. And even when the road ahead is quite unclear, even when the path and the plan are uncertain, it's the one thing worth holding on to. It's the only thing worth waiting for. In what areas of our lives do we feel the tension between following Jesus and following the ways of the world? The Hebrew midwives make a joint decision to stand together in this. How can we support each other more in following Jesus? What helps you to connect with the enduring love of God in the trials of life? Dear God, we offer up this time of prayer to you. Hear our hearts, Lord, and bring us closer to you. As we come away from the service, understanding more of you, Lord, help us to take up the challenge of the rockier path, the harder way, and the way that takes faith to traverse. And as we walk that path, remind us to be singing that your love endures forever. Keep our eyes on you, Lord, and build our faith to be unbreakable. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this service. Please come back next week as we look at a baby in a basket and understand God's timing. But for now, may God bless you.